Hello, welcome to the Lamaze podcast, where we chat all things pregnancy, childbirth, and the postpartum experience. Lamaze International is a global group committed to supporting families from pregnancy to parenthood. This podcast is an extension of our passion, which has been educating and journeying alongside families for over 60 years. Lamaze is more than just breathing, and today's podcast will explore and hopefully help educate you in how to advocate for healthy pregnancy, safe birth, and early parenting through evidence-based education. Let's get started. My name is Leslie Pascuzzi, and I am the host for today's podcast episode. I've been a Lamaze childbirth educator since 2017, and I'm a passionate advocate for perinatal mental wellness on the journey to parenthood. Today, I'm joined by Kate Goodman. Kate is uh, one of the popular stars of the Facebook watch series, Nine Months with Courtney Cox. Kate and her husband, Stuart, featured in the 2020 series of the show and welcomed baby Henry last year. This episode is a conversation with Kate focusing on mental health and well-being on her journey to parenthood. And I'm going to let her fill you in on all the top highlights of that journey. So welcome, Kate Cut. It's lovely to have you with us today. Thank you, Leslie. It's an honor to be here. Do you want to tell anyone who might not have come across your journey before? Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about yourself and um, your journey to pregnancy? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. So I got married in 2006 and a couple years into marriage, we decided to try to start our family and things didn't come together the way that I thought they would. There was no sign that we would experience infertility. As far as I knew, I had a healthy cycle. I was um, healthy in my body. My family had all had children. Stuart's family at that point, he's the oldest, but there was no signs of infertility in his family. So we didn't expect to, to experience any roadblocks, but we did after a couple of years of not conceiving naturally. Um, we started working with doctors to test our hormones, uh, things like that. And everything came back fine and normal. And we were told to just continue to keep trying. So I began charting my cycles and ovulation and things like that. Still things didn't come together. So we tried to get a little bit more aggressive and we kind of just began the, probably the normal cycle, at least in the States of what the infertility rat race is. You know, you begin with Clomid, things like that. So we did Clomid for a few months, nothing took. So then we moved on to a couple IUIs um, in, in uterine insemination and that didn't take. And so, um, at this point, I was still unexplained infertility. We didn't have any answers of what was going on. I met with, I decided to change my doctor at that point. And I went and saw someone else and they, again, looked over all my paperwork, over our hormones and everything. And they said, everything looks fine. I think you should keep doing in uterine inseminations. It had been like five or six years of trying to get pregnant at that point, And I didn't feel satisfied with the answer. 
So we moved on to another doctor and this doctor told us that we did have a hormonal imbalance that it took a little bit more digging to, to find these specific hormones. So we entrusted him with this cycle and we did what was called a min stim IVF, which just, just means um, it's minimal stimulation, minimal drugs. So we did the IVF with him. It didn't take come to find out. I'm just going to insert this in here. I'm sorry. (laughs) He was not a fertility specialist. He claimed he was, but to actually have the appropriate label, there's a certificate that the doctors have to have. It's called SART, SART approved. Um, I learned that the hard way that you should find a doctor that has that certification. He didn't. And anyway, that cycle went horribly. So we did our research afterwards, saw that he wasn't actually specialized in that. And then we moved on to a different clinic. We went through two full IVFs with them where we got pregnant and miscarried, which was devastating because of all the time and all the money and all the effort, especially to get pregnant and then just to have our hopes crashed. And then finally, at this point, I said, you know, I wonder if I might have endometriosis And the doctor said, oh, well, you know, tell me why you think you might have it. And I'm like, I'm not sure. I I might not, but I I just have really painful periods. And he said, well, that's not typically normal, which I didn't fully believe just because everyone I knew had cramps when they had their period. And he said, well, you know, how painful is it? And I said, well, I I need ibuprofen um, every single cycle like all day long for at least a day. And he said, that's not normal. And I I ended up asking my friends that day, you know, do any of you experience painful periods? And most of them said, no, one said that she takes one every few months just to take the edge off. And that just blew my mind because I was like in my late twenties at this point, you'd think you would know as a female what's going on with your body. And I, I didn't know. So we did a laparoscopy at that point. We found out that I did have stage four endometriosis. We tried to do a treatment to suppress that. And I went through one final IVF using my eggs where I did get pregnant. This was, I think, 2018. Um, my numbers looked good. And then we went in for our six week ultrasound to check the baby's heartbeat. And at that appointment, um, when they, like I climbed up onto the table of the doctor's office and immediately started gushing blood, which was horrible. But also I thought, wow, if I was going to do this, I'm in the perfect place to do this. Hopefully we can get some answers. Hopefully the baby's okay. So they, um, did the transvaginal wand up inside me and they could see that my baby that I, I was beginning to miscarry. So I did, I did miscarry that pregnancy. And that was the final one we did with, uh, like I said, my eggs. And so, um, we spent the year after that. So all of 2019 trying to recoup from all of our loss. And in 2020, we moved on using an egg donor and we had a great, uh, cycle with this egg donor. She's anonymous. We don't know who she is. And we got pregnant and everything mostly went okay. I mean, I had my baby, he's healthy, I'm healthy. So in that way, everything is great. There were bumps and challenges along the way, but overall, um, it finally, it finally worked. So it took 12 years and, you know, I'm, I'm, this is my nutshell of what we'd been through. And it takes like seven minutes to tell that because it's just so 
so much information. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say too, I, I hope this is okay. If there's anyone out there who is listening to this and they're curious about what I'd been through with, and they want more detail, I do have a YouTube channel. Um, it's just Kate, K-A-T-E-K-A, good, G-O-O-D. And I like break down all of the treatments and everything we've been through just in case anyone wants, wants that mm. information. But um, we, I, I started being a little bit more open with my story a few years ago and the Facebook watch nine month show um, found me somehow. Mm-hmm. And so they were able to see that I was going to move on with an egg donor IVF. And so they asked if they could uh, be a part of that experience, if I'd be willing to document um, what we were going through for the show. Mm-hmm. And it was a really scary decision for me to make just because it's so vulnerable and I think maybe even a little taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because women don't talk about this very much, I kind of wanted to help break the shame mm-hmm. that you go through because infertility isn't something you choose. You know, there no. shouldn't be shame in something that you have no, no choice in the matter. And also I think um, third party reproduction uh, is a really generous thing that other people offer, whether they're an egg donor or sperm donor. And, you know, I think they should be highlighted and things mm-hmm. like that. I, I feel so grateful for our donor and for the, I'm so glad that there are people out there who want to help. So I wanted to be an advocate, um, for my story mm. and to help people feel less alone with mm. what they're going through. Cause like I said, people don't talk about it that much. No, they don't. So sorry, that is so much information, but I think it, I know you said it took seven minutes for you to tell your story, but you know, within the Lomas family, I guess, we tend to meet people on that journey, pregnancy to parenting. And I think there's a real need to highlight the journey to pregnancy isn't just what you mentioned at the start, you know, you get married and you decide to grow your family and then you think, okay, well, now pregnancy will happen. And conversations like this are really important to highlight that it can be tough to get pregnant. And that doesn't just mean physical difficulty it can have that emotional well-being struggle along the way so um is there anything about that journey that you want to share with anyone listening who might be in a similar place you know struggling to get pregnant because of infertility or endometriosis you know how tough has it been it's been the hardest thing I've ever experienced and I feel like I've been through some doozies in life and yeah this this was definitely the most trying I feel like one of the most important things you can do for yourself when you're going through this is to put your mental health first. It It's such a dark and lonely, isolating place. And it feels like you go anywhere and, you know, there's pregnant people. And I think it's because you're, you're likely so fixated on it that that's mm. probably all that you see, which makes it even more painful. So making sure that you are in a good mental space to move through your life is just essential. I was talking to a friend once and she was going through a different situation, but she said to me, this may not be the life that I would have picked for myself, but that doesn't mean it can't be a beautiful life. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me because this wasn't the life that I chose for myself, but that doesn't mean that it can't be beautiful. Um, It might take some work to see that there's beauty in this life, Mm -hmm. but there is beauty. And in fact, there was one night where Stuart, well, Stuart and I grieve 
at different times and in different ways, which I think is pretty typical of most couples. Mm. And so when I was having a a hard time, a sad moment, I wanted him to break down with me, but it just wasn't his time to do that. Mm. And then in, on the reverse side, when he was having his moments, I usually wasn't, but it, it worked out in a way where we could kind of be each other's strengths. Mm. And I remember when he was breaking down, finally, I just held him in my arms and I didn't try to like have any answers for him. I just wanted to be there with him in his pain and know that like, he's not alone. Mm. And we ended up saying some like really sweet and beautiful things to each other about how no matter what we go through in this life or whether we have children or not, we still want to be with each other and we Mm. still choose each other, Mm. even if that means no children. Mm. And I walked away from that experience thinking some of the most beautiful experiences come from painful moments. Mm. And it, again, it may not be a circumstance that I would want to be in, Mm. but I had some really beautiful experiences and words that I've shared because of what I've been through, Mm. you know? And so I think it just takes some time to realize the beauty that is surrounding you. And it might take um, professional help even Mm. to help you get outside your pain, but, but make sure that you do that. Mm. Also, I didn't have, I I don't have a lot of money. And so uh, their support groups online that are free um, that you can, well, I don't know with COVID if you can attend them, but at least there's resources available online. Mm. So uh, you can take advantage of that and talk to Mm. people who, who know what you're going through. So Mm. yeah, I would say you're not alone and make sure to take care of your, of yourself. Mm. Yeah. And we know with um, our six healthy birth practices that that Lamaze talk um, through our education series, there's so much to be said for, you know, what we understand about what we're going through and how confident we feel to actually connect with our healthcare professionals and and be a part of our own experience. Um, And I'm just listening to how, you know, long and enduring your journey to pregnancy was. And, you know, even just with endometriosis alone, we know that can really have a strong impact on how women connect with their body because we've maybe had teenage and early 20s thinking my body is here to birth and to grow children. And then suddenly you're dealt with the news that actually this is not going to be as straightforward as you once thought. So, you know, was there times that you, you know, maybe had a turning point with your relationship with your body or you've got a memory of feeling like, yeah, I really had to just connect differently to be able to move forward and and enter that new phase with the the treatment of the endometriosis and the egg donor that became your pregnancy of your son. Yes. Um, so it was probably my my rock bottom moment where I had like that that turning point was um, so that that day where um, I had that. I went to the doctor's office and and started bleeding on the table. And they said, you're miscarrying. It was, I, I, it was the worst day of my life just to go into the clinic pregnant. And I ended up having to go through a DNC right then. And so I left the clinic, not pregnant. Mm -hmm. All of, all of the pregnancy that I'd had inside me was scraped out of me Mm -hmm. and that appointment. And what I was expecting to go in to see was my baby's heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And my numbers, like I said, were better than they'd ever been. So it was gutting, especially knowing like I knew that was our last attempt with my aches. And so it was a huge pill to swallow of not only am I not going to be able to pass on my genetics, but I don't know where to go 
from here. I don't know what to do. We are nowhere closer to having our baby than we were 11 years ago. Mm. We went home and we told our family and we were grieving. And there was a point where Stuart finally fell asleep and I couldn't go to sleep. My mind was just too too busy with grief. And I had this moment where I'm like, if I go to sleep, that means I will finally like in a way get rest and I will have to wake up to my reality again. Mm. I'm going to have to reprocess what just happened to me. Mm. And I don't want to do that. Mm. So in a way I almost like tortured myself and wouldn't let myself fall asleep because it seemed too painful. And I, um, I didn't want to disturb Stuart sleeping. I wanted him to be able to rest. Um, and so I went into my bathroom and I laid in my tub and, and not like with water. I just lay, laid in an empty tub with my clothes on. And I turned my bathroom fan on so that um, I would hopefully not wake Stuart. And I just sobbed like I've never cried before. Like it, it was a full body experience. Like it felt like my entire body was was grieving. And I I remember I was like shaking from side to side. And I, I had never experienced a pain like in my heart before until that moment like I felt like my heart was going to burst out of my chest and almost in a way to like try to prevent that from happening even though it wouldn't have happened but like in that moment it that's what my brain was telling me is like this hurts so bad my chest is gonna explode um I put my hand onto my heart and I could feel my heart beating and I just remember chanting to myself it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay it's okay it's okay it's okay and I could feel my heart beating underneath my hand and it was beating strong and powerfully. And it almost in a way centered me, it grounded me. And I was able to just kind of focus on my heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I let everything else go away for a minute. And I just focused on that heartbeat. It was not uh, maybe kind of like an out of body experience where I saw my body as almost separate from myself. And I looked at this, this woman's body and she was so sad. She was just grieving so deeply. This body had tried so hard to, to have children. It had gone through years and years and years of needles being poked into it and blood draws and treatments and so many people looking up inside, you know, and trying poking and prodding and like miscarriage after miscarriage. And this body that in my mind, like I felt like the, the natural thing was to hate my body, to be mad at it, to despise it. Instead, in this moment, I was able to look at it and, and realize like what it had tried to do for me. And so as I felt my heart beating and I could feel my lungs breathing, I changed my chant from it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for trying. I know you did your best. At this point in my life, I was the heaviest I'd ever been, and I, I tend to emotionally eat. And I remember going forward from that moment, it was almost like I, I tried to connect with my body as a friend, and I knew what it needed was not more treatments. I couldn't think about that. I couldn't even put that on my body at the time. I just needed to heal. I needed to focus on uh, getting to a healthy place mentally, physically, emotionally, and I ended up losing um, 75 pounds. And I think that was really the, the weight loss was a side effect to me just feeling better. And when I feel better, I tend to eat better. I want to exercise. I want to be outside. I want to do the things that feel good to me. Um, 
But another thing too, is when I was in those moments of, of deep, deep, deep grief, I would tend to almost ignore my body's needs. And that again, in that moment of like clarity, I realized it's not going to get easier for me if I neglect my needs. Mm. I need to eat. I need to sleep. Mm. I need to drink water or else this is going to be harder Mm. to heal. Mm. And so it was really just the basic things that I did to try to, um, to, to turn things around. And it was a really slow process. I, I just had to put one step in front of the other. I mean, the next day I finally got a nap and I think I brushed my teeth and, and that was the extent of healing that day. That was all I could manage. Mm. And then each day, you know, it was a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, mm. but yeah, it, it has changed the way that I look at my body and even other women who, who, bash their body, you know, after pregnancy, you know, I, I got stretch marks everywhere and I don't like the way I look. I think that's okay. You don't have to love the way you look, but I think there is something to honoring your body and respecting the the gift that you have of this life and, and just, um, doing your best to talk kindly to mm. yourself. I think anyone can use that at any phase in mm. their life. So once you went through that experience, which sounds so intense and overwhelming for you but probably overwhelming is not even doing it justice given the amount of years that were dealt with in that bathtub you know that's a huge thing to have gone through but I'm just interested to know you know you got then on to pregnancy so people who watched you on the show would have seen the pregnancy be documented you know the journey the um the milestones that you went through and I know the Mm -hmm. series finished with your um, gender reveal you you hadn't had Henry by that point but um, people got to see you know you um, you know receiving phone calls from this from the clinic and um, you know meeting those early milestones together which was lovely was that a time of you know better emotional wellness like the knowledge that you now had um, you know a healthy egg that you know was Um, growing well inside of you you know was pregnancy a time where you felt you know confident in your body and what was happening or was that still a challenging time because you've obviously had you know emotional challenges to get to that point so I'm just interested for anyone listening who is in a similar place you know to think well does just having a positive pregnancy test take away all the worries and all the anxieties? What was it like for you to be pregnant and to carry the child, you know, through those, those milestones that we saw on the show? I wish I could say that I got the positive pregnancy test and I just felt full relief the entire time. But unfortunately I did slip back into um, worry of my body and, you know, I think it's just going to have to be a practice I have my entire life. But I, um, what wasn't featured on the show was that I had a subchorionic hemorrhage where I was um, bleeding and passing clots for, uh, it started in week five and it didn't end until week 19. And I was supposed to be on bed rest that entire time. And so because I was bleeding for months, I felt I mean, horror every time I went to the bathroom, because that was how my other miscarriages started was with bleeding. So it, um, you know, having bleeding during pregnancy, I was, I was so scared all the time that I was losing the, the baby. It was also right when the pandemic began. And so I couldn't rely on the support of like my family and friends to distract me. 
um, which for my mental state Mm. was really challenging. I felt really isolated through pregnancy um, when I'd already kind of felt isolated through infertility. Uh, but we got a Doppler. And so anytime I could hear my baby's heartbeat, which, you know, we were able to find it every single time, or if I could have a scan that always brought me a lot of relief and it would last for a week. (laughs) I started getting nervous again. Mm. Um, but hearing the baby, I was able to connect to him and, uh, you know, once I could feel the movements and things too, that was always reassuring for me as well. Um, but I didn't feel like I, something that I was able to carry with me from infertility through pregnancy was like I had said, I, I bounced around from doctor to doctor through infertility. And I ended up doing the same thing during my pregnancy. It probably makes me sound a little high maintenance, which honestly, I, I probably am like considering what I've been through, I feel like I, I do need to be handled delicately. <laughs> and so, um, my first OB, I didn't feel like was listening to my concerns very well. And so I moved on halfway through the pregnancy and I found a doctor who I felt like, um, was a little bit more sensitive to what I had been through. And so, uh, that was something that I'm glad that I did because I know plenty of women will, you know, worry about hurting feelings or, you know, they think they don't trust their instinct. Mm. They think the doctor knows better than they do. Mm. And, um, I don't know. I, I just feel like with all of the time that I lost because I wasn't in the right hands with the medical side of things, I'm just not willing to waste time Mm. like that any longer. So Mm -hmm. I just, I think finding the right doctor for you is, is Mm. essential. Mm. And when you've got good, um, support around you from a healthcare point of view that made the pregnancy you know more manageable for you you felt supported and you felt would you go as far to say confident as you prepared for the birth or did you still struggle with that so we took um a natural birthing class and I found it also fascinating I was hoping to be able to deliver my son naturally but because I was getting frequent scans, I, they, they told me like at 38 weeks or so that my son was weighing about 10 pounds. And so the medical team did make me feel really insecure Mm. about my baby size and my um, competence in being able to deliver a big baby. And then I really started to worry, like, you know, cause they say the bigger gets, the more likely you are to run into problems. And so um, that increased me, my anxiety levels really high. And I ended up being induced because I was so worried that things wouldn't go the right way if I didn't intervene. Mm -hmm. And then with the induction, it started the dominoes. And pretty much we went through every single step of, uh, of an intervention where I had to get the epidural and the Pitocin and the water, they broke my water. And eventually it led to a C-section and my baby was only eight and a half pounds. I, I wish I would, I mean, hindsight, I wish I would have trusted my body a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm hoping, cause we want to do another treatment. I'm hoping in like the next six months or mm-hmm. so that now that I've seen that things can go well and that those scans aren't always correct, (laughs) that I will have more, more faith in my body the next time around. And I'm hoping I can, I can do the natural birth the next time. But, um, but it also, again, opened my eyes that it's really when it comes to labor, 
a lot of times it's just the, the doctor's best guess. They don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they can do, they do their best, but mm-hmm. they don't always know exactly what the size is going to be no. and how your body's going to respond to everything. No, they you don't. Know, so, so one I think, of the things again, I know, sorry, one of the things I know no, you're yeah. very passionate about is, you know, women finding their voice. And, you know, within our healthy birth practices of Lamaze, we talk about, you know, avoiding medical intervention until it's medically necessary. And there's a lot of research telling us a big baby or a suspected big baby, macrosomia is the posh word, but it's actually someone's opinion based on a scan, which often Mm -hmm. is out of proportion, possibly up to, you know, 500 grams you know it's like women's own voice in those moments can be lost because we look to the medical professionals and you've had a journey to pregnancy at that point where you definitely relied on the external professionals to get you to that point to be having those discussions so I know one of the things that you're very keen through your um, presence online and through the show is to encourage women to to find their voice and to ask the right questions to gain information to make informed decisions that you know should you be in the birthing suite again that you can you can talk about the decisions that are being made and perhaps you know find your voice and and have a different outcome absolutely I think no one's going to advocate for you Mm. like you will. Mm. And now when I go into doctor's offices, when I know I have an appointment coming up, I begin um, a list of questions. Mm. You know, the, as, as soon as one comes into my mind, I jot it down. And so when I am down, when I'm sitting with my doctor, I go through the entire list. I take Mm -hmm. my time and I am going to pick their brain. And, you know, like you were saying how we put um, so much faith sometimes in these doctors and not to say that, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Like I, that's the thing is they've seen so many births. And for me, I'm like, I've only experienced this one time. Sure. I think that's why sometimes we do second guess ourselves. Mm. So I do think that being an advocate and, and I think just, just being educated, just being educated in your options. Mm. I remember hearing one time that we research, you know, what kind of TV we're going to buy for a week, but so many people don't research birth, mm. you know, and, and there's so much more involved than just the physical mm. side. There's the mental and the emotional, mm. there's so many things involved. And, and I, I do think women should, should advocate for themselves, should, should be educated and should know um, more of what they can expect just so that things aren't so terrifying, mm. you know, when, when it gets intense. Yeah. yeah. You've just summarized beautifully, you know, Lamaz's mission is to empower you know, parents to make informed choices, get evidence-based knowledge, to build your confidence, to make the decisions from an informed perspective so that you can give your family the best start to life, you know, from a positive place. And that doesn't always need to be intervention-free. I mean, we we Mm -hmm. must say that, you know, intervention has its place and, you know, sometimes induction of labor or, you know, cesareans that have been unplanned, these interventions save lives. And there's always a need to have that as an option. But what, you know, advocating for yourself and gaining knowledge will help you do is to make sure that the right choice is made for you at the right time and that you understand the reasons for that. But you also know that you've got choice. I've got one final question to ask you, which, you know, is taken us back a little bit to, you know, what it 
must be like for someone who's listening to be, you know, labeled as an infertile person or an infertile couple and um, might be on that path and, and endometriosis could be in their story or, you know, the, the possibility of, of donations, like you mentioned, you know, might be an option for them. You know, if you had, you know, three things, let's say, you know, your best advice for them, your top tips or your kind mm-hmm. of um, the biggest lessons you wish you knew back when you started this what what would be your you know the the words of wisdom you'd want to pass on to anyone listening because I'm sure there will be people who tune in um to a conversation like this so you know mm-hmm. do you have some some words of advice some words of wisdom this is going to be a question where as I'm falling asleep I'm going to think oh I should have said this <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully hopefully I said say the right things one thing that I wish I would have known is I ended up alienating myself a lot from my loved ones because they didn't know what I was going Mm -hmm. through. And in that way, I kind of cut their support off Mm -hmm. and that just made for a really lonesome time. I wish I, you know, even though they, they didn't understand my infertility, I wish I would have let them support me better at the beginning. Um, So one of the life lessons through that is we may not experience the same trials, but we know what, we know what betrayal feels like. We know what sadness feels like. We know what, you know, self-loathing feels like. And so sometimes I feel like emotions can bond us, even though the experiences may be different. Mm. So my experience in infertility, though, I may not understand what someone else may be going through in their personal life with their trials, um, because I know what infertility feels like. I may be able to understand some of their emotions. Mm. Right. So that's one thing is, is let them support you because, because they may understand more than you realize. I think that's really interesting because we know the nature of challenges in life. It sometimes is easier to just have to narrow down and think about the everyday, you know, just what's going to happen today. Mm -hmm. And to take on sharing your story, you know, until you're ready, it's, it's hard. So I think um, encouraging people to, to reach out for support, even if that support is just having a cup of tea with someone, you might not want to talk about infertility. You might not want to talk about, you know, your most recent appointment or your most recent cycle. You might just want to connect and share, you know, we, we know that events or opportunities like that release the love hormones, the oxytocin hormone that just makes us feel safe and secure. And when you're in a a challenging time of your life that, as you mentioned at the start of your conversation, it wasn't your expected journey. You got married and thought, let's have a family. And then it didn't turn out that way. So, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes just like, I think it's great to encourage people, connect to the people who make you feel loved, connect to the people who make you feel safe. And that could just be the difference between your day being 10 out of 10 difficult to maybe only eight out of 10. And who wouldn't want to share that advice that you you can change your experience just by letting those you trust be a part of that journey. Absolutely. And that actually is a good segue into something else. I remember where being clear with your loved ones Mm -hmm. can really help them because they may not know what to do for you. You know, they, they want to help, but they're just not sure how to, that if you can be, you know, like you said, you don't have to like break down exactly what you need, but you could just say, I need company and I need it 
tonight? Who, <laughs> who can give me company yeah. or we need dinner. Can someone bring us dinner or we want space. And I love you so much, but I, I don't want to talk about this. There were plenty of times that my family knew I was going into a treatment, but they also knew how hard it was for me to process what I was going through that. I said, you're not allowed to talk to me about it until I bring it up. So no questions, no checking up. I don't want to answer anyone to anything about this until I'm ready to talk about it. And, and as it's not a personal thing, it's just to save me mentally. Um, so they were always very appreciative Mm -hmm. when I would be clear in what I needed support wise. Mm -hmm. And it helped me because then I wasn't receiving support that was irritating or, Mm -hmm. you know, it felt like they were being nosy or things like that because I had set that boundary. Mm -hmm. So I think setting boundaries is really, really important. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to throw this bonus one in here. I, I like a bonus. It's, yeah. <laughs> Stay off of Google as much as possible <laughs> when you're like in the middle of uh, a two week wait, if you're doing, you know, if you're trying to conceive and you're waiting past your ovulation, oh, just, just stay off of Google. Don't take pregnancy tests all day long. Just let things happen as they happen. If it's meant to be, it will be. Your body will take care of things the way that it needs to happen. So just try your best to be at peace. The other thing that I think helped me a lot through my losses is before we went into a treatment, I would always come up with a plan B. So if plan A, which was have a baby, didn't work, we knew, okay, our plan B thing to kind of spoil ourselves, to reward ourselves for our efforts, we would come up with something great. So um, after that, that brutal loss that we went through that final um, loss, we said, if this doesn't work, we're going to Hawaii. And we didn't, like I said, we don't have a lot of money, but we found a way to make it work. When things fell apart, we're like, okay, we're going to Hawaii. And we just had at least something to look forward to. If you have nothing to look forward to, it can just be kind of a downer. And so I think, again, with all of the effort that these strong and brave couples put themselves through, you just, you just deserve to live a little, to treat yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I think it's such a lovely reminder to people because sometimes we get so caught up in the kind of nitty gritty, it's a, a great phrase of life that we we sometimes forget about allowing ourselves the opportunity to experience self-fulfillment and enjoyment even through difficult times. So um, yeah, I'm going to keep that Absolutely. in my mind when my, I need a plan B, I'm going to come to Hawaii also. <laughs> right. And I mean, one last thing too, is I feel like, you know, we sometimes work so hard to create life that we forget that we have We've been created to experience life. Mm. Like we are meant to enjoy life. We are meant to, um, like you said, to fulfill our own lives. So Mm. not to get um, lost too much in the darkness and to, to find ways to, to, to live and to make yourself happy. Mm. And in that way, it's also, I think, being an advocate for yourself too, to find the joy in life, to find joy in, I, I just think that we all have things around us and, it's worth the the self-love to find out what those things are to help you through. Perfect. Just before we finish, I just wondered if you could complete the sentence for me. You know, motherhood is what to you? What is motherhood to you? Honestly, the first word that came to mind is a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like that's kind of a sad way to put it, but it it has been a sacrifice to me, but in the best way. I feel Mm. like when we sacrifice, it's because we are doing it for something that we love, Mm. you know, and it's because I love, I love this baby and I loved him before I was even married. You know, I knew I wanted children Mm. and I was willing to sacrifice to, Mm. to have my dreams come true. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's been a journey, but it's been absolutely worth it. Mm. And he is so gorgeous. Thank you. I think so too. <laughs> well, thank you for listening today to the Lamaze podcast. And please go to our website, www.lamaze.org to learn more about Lamaze, how to connect to a childbirth educator in your area for a class and so many more resources related to pregnancy, childbirth and parenthood. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Lamaze podcast and give us a five-star review. This will help other families find us in the podcast world. I look forward to you tuning in to another episode. But for today, thank you, Kate Cuff, for joining me and sharing your story. And I'm sure that if people want to connect with you more, they can find you on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. We'll, We'll leave your social media tags with the episode that people can find you but thank you for sharing your story and for all the great work you're doing in the space advocating for people to hopefully get to their end point of parenthood and motherhood as well so thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next time